Well, hello, everyone. This is Jessica. And this is Caitlin. And this is the Calling All Spirits podcast. How are you, Caitlin? Well, you know how I've been complaining about how buying a house is needlessly complicated? <laughs> yes. Yes. And you're buying it during Mercury retrograde, oh by the way. God. I'm still so mad about that because I've never <laughs> had Mercury retrograde affect my life until like the last two, three years. Like, I don't know what COVID did to my internal <laughs> setting. But the fact that I was born during retrograde has betrayed me and it no longer works. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. It's all right. We're still like the house. Is, we still have the house. We're still okay. going to do it. Good. Just the closing was delayed for more stupid backwards reasons that don't make any sense. Because I will never understand why they're doing a survey about the property after almost everything is set. Like, shouldn't you know the parameters of the property before you make the final deal? I I would think so. I it's been a, it's been a several years since we bought a house, but so I can't remember, but that would make sense to me. I would think that would be right. Right? Like I I've sort of got I feel like Spock anymore because every time I explain it to somebody, I'm like, it's not that it's set back. It's that it's for a very illogical reason that makes no sense to me and I cannot get my head around it. Oh my gosh. Maybe it's meant to be because, I mean, if I'm correct, I think Monday is the end of Mercury retrograde. So maybe you weren't meant to be in the house until after and then everything clears out. I don't know. <laughs> Fingers crossed. I'm here for whatever reason makes this work better because I'm I'm I, I'm not part Vulcan. I know I'm not. But this lack of logic involved in the process is driving me yeah. bug nuts. Oh, but I the good news is my new temporary boss likes my murder jokes a lot better than my last boss did because while I've been ranting and raving, he was laughing instead of looking at me like I was crazy. So there is a silver lining. I love it. I love it. That's fabulous. What about you? How are you doing? I am good. Um, Yeah, just getting ready. It's um, my birthday week, so we're getting ready for family to come in, which I'm, I know, I'm super excited about that. I'm kind of not as excited about the whole house cleaning part and kind of doing all that, but Valid. very worth it. And then I think I left listeners last time we talked, which is funny because we've done so many episodes that are like for the future. I'm like, wait, which episode did we talk about? <laughs> what this? order are these being aired in? Yeah, fair exact, point. Exactly. But I'm pretty sure I'm correct. We talked about I was going to do my first dim for like the pain public. Mm-hmm. And I said I would say how that would go. Um. And it actually, it, it went really well. I was very proud. Good. Uh, yeah, I felt really good about it. It was me, my mentor, Jennifer, and then another amazing medium, Jill. And so we took turns. So we each got up and read three times. They gave us six minutes on the clock and you just had to go. Jennifer even pushed us to find, like we had to find our sitter. So Ooh. instead of just, yes. So I'm not she did give us a little grace because that's hard to like look at an audience of 30 and be like that person, even though that's eventually the goal. But we had to at least get to the side of the room and then what area of the audience. And so that was and I actually did it. I got I placed my sitter and I got the right Yay! side of the room, you know, um, which was a challenge. But um, which that's kind of trippy because for me, I just sit there and I just kind of let spirit just move me like am I going right or left and. Um, and so got three contacts, found my sitter. So it was, I mean, I'm not saying they were my best readings ever. One in particular is still going to sit with me and bug me, <laughs> but, um, but they were good. And at least I feel like I got my confidence back and that's what I'm excited about. It's like, okay, that first time you get up, you do it, you survive. They don't, you know, you don't get tomatoes thrown at you or yanked off stage. Like we did, it was, it didn't end like some of the ones that we've talked about. <laughs> like, yeah. They didn't, like, attack your spirit box and, like, tear it apart while you were running for your life? 
So you didn't reenact anything from any of the brothers we've studied? No, 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 no. Thankfully, the audience was very gracious and sweet. I even got hugs afterwards from the people Aww, I read for. So. so yeah, it went really well. So the next one is Galveston. We're doing the fair in Galveston. Ooh. Not this weekend, but the next and um, I've been told, I didn't go last year, but I was told last year the room had about 150 to 100 people in it to watch. So I'm like, wow. Okay. Okay. Here, here we go. <laughs> so that's going to be intense too, because Galveston yeah. is odd energy and don't get distracted by all the bodies buried in everyone's yards. I know. I know. It, that's going to be really interesting. Um, the good thing is I said the big ballroom we're in, like you look out and it's just windows looking out over the ocean. So I'm like, oh, they said it's magical. But I know what you That would mean. distract that- the heck out of me. I'd be better off in a dark room. <laughs> that is too funny. Just, But you're right. Galveston is so full of spirits, which I'm excited. Like, kind of like spoiler alert we're gonna have somebody coming on the podcast to talk about galveston in the upcoming months but um so anyway that's so there was it went well we'll report back on galveston how that went awesome (laughs) that's fantastic i'm excited for you and i'm excited for your family coming happy early birthday from all of us (laughs) thank you you're so sweet yeah you know i just keep hitting that 30 30 again over and over (laughs) How many times do you turn 30 now? <laughs> Maybe nine? Is this my ninth one? It's the ninth anniversary of your 30th birthday? I like it. Yes. Yes. I'm sti- <laughs> you know, no. I'm actually, I, I'm, I think I'm a lot happier. I, I feel like the older I get, the more happy I actually am and stuff. Same. Like, it, it sounds kind of crazy when you're in your 20s and people talk about how much better your 30s are. Yes. And like, you know, I hear my friends talking about how their 40s are even more where they get to understand themselves the closer I get to 40, the more I'm like, you know what? Maybe you're not lying because I kind of see it. Oh, I agree. Yeah, I'm like not even dreading my 40s. I've loved mm-hmm. my late 30s. Like, I yes. really have. Honestly, everything just made more sense after I turned 30 anyway. So like, it, yeah. It does. And I feel like you in your 20s, you're still trying to figure out who in the heck you are. And not that that ever ends. We're always evolving. But I feel like in your 30s, you kind of get a better idea of like, no, this is who I am. Take it or leave it. Like, <laughs> In a good way. Like, I think we kind of, we don't have to pretend to be something we're not or just try to fit into the crowd anymore. Exactly. And I mean, developmentally, your brain doesn't stop developing. Like, like it doesn't stop. You you continue developing and growing as a person past Mm -hmm. this. But I think like 25 is when puberty and everything actually ends. So like late 20s, things start calming down and 30s, I think, is when things start to make sense again because your brain's just a little different. That makes a lot of sense, actually. I know that makes that makes so much sense. Okay, yeah, I'm pondering that, but that would <laughs> I don't want de- I don't want just like dead air, so I'm just like hum. <laughs> That's all right. The pod doesn't need to take that weird left turn. Um, we can we can get on topic. If yes, anything. <laughs> yes, let's do that because I'm excited for this topic because like I was telling you, this is all brand new. I'm gonna brand new to me. I'm gonna be learning right along with everybody else about this. Well, then let's get to it. So we all know how much Jess and I enjoy horror movies, right? (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Well, certain ones. Favorite thing (laughs) in the whole world. We know all of them from beginning to end. (laughs) So I guess for better context, even the two of us know about the curse placed on Egyptian tombs to keep grave robbers from stealing stuff, right? I do know that. Absolutely. (laughs) Even those of us who avoid most horror movies, like, we still know that myth. 
<laughs> yeah, I was like, um, we don't know Freddie or it or <laughs> those kind. We've we we're chickens. We're scaredy cats. I've I've watched a few. I have a friend who's like pushing me through all of the Final Destination and Scream movies. Oh, and that's no. been going well. But I still haven't watched like Halloween or. Yeah. Nightmare on Elm Street or anything. And I'm sure that will come as soon as she hears this and realizes I haven't seen those either. <laughs> but. Oh, my goodness. Well, we don't know those yet. But, yes, we know about the mummy. Exactly. And so I don't know about you, but I always kind of wondered, like, where that story came from. Like, did something mm-hmm. happen? Was there an event that triggered all of this? Mm-hmm. Are there any historical events that can support it? Okay. Well, apparently... Many of the stories go back to the strange occurrences that have been said to circle around an ancient Egyptian artifact known as the Unlucky Mummy. Oh. Although, spoiler alert, it's not a mummy. It's what they call a coffin lid. Oh. Don't know why it's not a sarcophagus lid, but every single source I found called it a coffin lid. So, once upon a time, during the heyday of the Victorian fixation on all things Egyptian, like, seriously, for those of you who don't know, the Victorian fixation was strong. I didn't know this one. Did you know that the Victorian fixation started as a result of the Napoleonic campaigns? No. Yep. Napoleon and his armies going into Egypt throughout the late 1700s. I feel like I should, but... Brought... It was the beginning of the, you know, the looting and bringing back of souvenirs to different European countries and triggered the whole fixation on Egyptian everything. It was even called Egyptomania, which I think sounds kind of dumb, so I don't say it much. (laughs) Wow. But that's just me. If you like that word, you are welcome to. (laughs) Anyway, in the 1860s, five Oxford graduates took a trip to Egypt. You know, spring break vacay. (laughs) That's so funny. I mean, they just just graduated Oxford. How was I not going to make college jokes? Come on. I mean, it it basically is. Yes. (laughs) Together, they sailed down the Nile, which was a tourist attraction even then. And to remember their trip, they bought a souvenir, the coffin lid of a priestess of Amun-Ra. Now, for context, the high priests of Amun-Ra, named after the Egyptian god, obviously, Mm -hmm. were military rulers who commanded southern Egypt in the 21st dynasty, which was basically 1085 to 945 BCE. This was apparently a period of turmoil and strife in the empire. So the priests were powerful and prone to keeping secrets, and the priesthood worked to appease the gods that Egypt had clearly angered to cause the turmoil and strife. Mm-hmm. And the way they described the coffin lid with her wide baleful eyes, open palms and outstretched fingers, the priestess on the coffin seemed to cast a malevolent allure. Oh. Don't really know what malevolent allure means. That's what the Nautilus article said. But it seems that the idea of the priest being strong, powerful and very present was reflected nicely in the image that they painted on. Okay. Well, at the end of their super fun road trip and while on their way back from Egypt, two of the men died. (gasps) Oh my goodness. And then a third went to Cairo and accidentally shot himself in the arm while quail hunting. (gasps) He survived, but he had to have his arm amputated. Oh, that's still not good. Another member of the group, a man named Arthur Wheeler, managed to get back to England only to lose his entire fortune gambling. Oh my goodness. He then moved to America and lost his new fortune in a flood and a fire. Wow. <laughs> now, Arthur, outside of this, was actually a, an interesting person. Aside from his random plundering of Egyptian artifacts, according to J.W. Walker in the book Cursed Objects, which is where I got the idea for this whole episode, he's also known as the person who introduced the Western world to the Pekingese dog breed. Wait, wait, what? <laughs> That is so random. <laughs> it's super random. And I couldn't find any corroborating evidence on that one. All the articles oh. I read about the development of 
the Western fixation on the Pekingese dog breed came from there was a soldier that brought it back. It wasn't Arthur Wheeler didn't make an appearance anywhere but in this book. But so do what you do with that what you will. But apparently that's <laughs> the other thing he's known for is uh, introducing the Pekingese dog breed from China to a lot of the Western world. Wow. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> after catastrophe after catastrophe hit Wheeler, the lid was placed under the care of his sister who tried to have it photographed in 1887. Uh-huh. And the photographer died. <gasps> as did the porter who moved it around. <gasps> okay, this is getting creepy. Like, I normally don't believe in curses, but this is creepy. We're not done yet. Oh, my gosh. The man who was asked to translate the hieroglyphics on the lid completed suicide. <gasps> oh. And so, like, that was the final one of this lid seems to be almost certainly cursed. But it would seem that even this was only the beginning Enter the quote from the mummy, death is only the beginning. Um, oh yeah, yes, God. I did watch these movies while watching, while, while working on this episode. Um, <laughs> that's appropriate. <laughs> I mean, when you said Amun Ra, wait, yeah. Yeah, Amun Ra, did they have the book of Amun Ra, the book of life? Yep. Yes, that's exactly what I thought of. I was like, the mummy. <laughs> yep, I watched the mummy so many times. I watched the mummy and the mummy returns. Mm-hmm. Don't really care for the Scorpion King, and I don't count the third movie because it doesn't have mummies or Rachel Weisz. Fair. But the stories that continue, some of them are obviously myths, but others were allegedly verified by a journalist in the early 20th century. Okay. Bertram Fletcher Robinson, that is a name, spent months investigating and verifying the truths of tragedies that were related to the artifact, and before he couldn't complete his work, he suddenly died. Oh! <gasps> Girl, are you not, like, are you worried researching this? Like, should we be worried about this? I mean, if I end up in a absolute catastrophe in the next couple of weeks, or before the episode goes live, like, or actually, you know what? Has to happen before we're done recording for this to hold, because, or I guess if Brie goes into an accident while she's editing, am I going to get blamed for murdering my sister via a mummy curse? I'm a little, I'm like, should I light more incense right now or something? Should I be like... I'll sleep with selenite tonight. It, it'll be fine. Okay. It's a little frightening. Okay, this may be our scariest episode yet. Please continue. Well, the question is, was it the curse of the unlucky mummy that also took out this journalist? I mean, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle thought so, because obviously he thought so. Like, why wouldn't he? But some of Robinson's other acquaintances also thought so. Conan Doyle's remarks on Robinson's death and Robinson's research were recorded in the publications Pearson's Magazine and the Daily Express. Quote, it was caused by Egyptian elementals gardening a female mummy because Mr. Robinson had begun the investigation of the stories of the mummy's malevolence. It is impossible to say with absolute certainty if it is true, but I warned Mr. Robinson against concerning himself with the mummy at the British Museum. He persisted and his death occurred. I told him he was tempting fate by pursuing his inquiries. The immediate cause of death was typhoid fever, but that is the way in which elementals guarding the mummy might act. Don't we have cures for typhoid now? Like, are we okay? Well, yes, but this is the beginning of the 20th century, so this is the early 1900s. Well, I mean, I know, like, we did it back then, but I'm just trying to make myself feel better. Yeah, 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 <laughs> like, yeah, yeah we, we have treatments we're for good. typhoid we're now, good. you're fine. Yeah, we're fine. We, we okay, okay. So, no, do you, was he in, con- like, did, was he actually, like, in the same space like it was at the museum so he was actually around it i think so yeah like he was actually going to the museum and looking at it and trying to do his investigation i'm guessing through word of mouth for the most part because a lot of this is kind of stories and hearsay about the curse itself because my understanding of the situation was that he was writing about its curse 
since being acquired by the grad students. Okay. Rather than its history in Egypt itself. Got Okay, very interesting. Okay. Now, it would seem the mummy was only getting started with these as a warm-up. By the time the unlucky mummy arrived at the British Museum, its reputation had seeped through British private society. While the museum curators generally kind of scoffed at the alleged curse, men at soirees, dinner parties, and ghost clubs, by the way, we need to include those in an episode, because that sounds fascinating. I want to know what a ghost club is in the, you know, jazz age. Yes. Okay. Agreed. (laughs) Going in the notes. Exactly. So the men at all of these events were trading stories of like their own stories of its powers. But it wasn't until 1904 that the general public got the whiff of the story. This was the year that Bertram published a front page article before he was done with all of his research. Mm -hmm. And it was in the Daily Express and he called it a priestess of death. Which is kind of an attention-getting headline. Mm-hmm. The intro to the article is, It is certain that the Egyptians had powers which we in the 20th century may laugh at, yet can never understand. Oh, I mean. So three years later, when he died suddenly of typhoid, all of his friends immediately thought of the mummy's curse. Of course. One of the quotes say, The very last time I saw him, he told me a wonderful tale about a mummy which had caused the death of everybody who had to do with it. And then he died. <laughs> I mean, this is just great. No, I'm really, I'm enjoying the story. Like, it's super, I've never heard this before, so. Good. I'm glad no, you're at least it, interested while I'm scaring you, because my goal is not usually to scare you. No, I and I wouldn't have thought this would have made me creep out, but just, I think it's like, then they died, and then they died, and it's like, oh my gosh. Yeah, it's the continuation of this person, then that person, then that person, then that person, and then that person, and you're wondering where it ends. Yes. No, no, I love it. I, I, I want you to keep going. Well, I'm glad that you want me to keep going because the list of the people who were under the mummy's influence just keeps growing longer and longer. Oh, no. Oh, no. There were people who sketched the mummy who had mysterious accidents, a lady falling oh. down the stairs, a captain meeting financial ruin, a psychic claiming the mummy haunted him for weeks. There was even a rumor that the mummy had been on the Titanic and caused the ship's deadly collision. Okay. I have heard, I mean, I've heard about this theory of a mummy being on the Titanic. I did not know it was this mummy. It is this mummy that was rumored to be on the Titanic. Oh, okay. Just to be a little rational, how would it be back at the British Museum if it had been on the Titanic? Yeah, you think they would have thought that one. Yeah. Now, if you told me that Captain went to visit it before he got on the Titanic, that would be a different story. Fair. Yes, absolutely. But my favorite one, just because I've been sitting with the Titanic one long enough to be like, that's not ra- that's not rational. Mm-hmm. Uh, my new favorite one is one person claimed the mummy that at the peak of her wrath had been presented to the Kaiser and caused the outbreak of World War One. Oh, <gasps> wow. <laughs> it didn't end well for him. So no, no, this is true. Basically, as it happens, the unlucky mummy which is actually a coffin lid, just to remind y'all, it's not actually a mummy, arrived in England during the perfect curse-making storm, is how one article phrased it. (gasps) It was a time when science was challenging traditional beliefs and experiments Mm -hmm. in the occult were becoming more common. Like, we talk about this all the time on the pod, how science and spiritualism and religious belief all kind of coalesce at this point in time. So when we have... The occult and ghosts and the thought of looming monsters threatening your livelihood, they're kind of entering their golden age. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Exactly. And then on top of that, Victorians were scared of a lot of things. Empires, justice, the rise of women in society. (laughs) 
Sorry, one of the articles put that and I had to include it. No, that's pretty good. That's pretty good. Well, and with the rise in the occult, and, and I could be wrong, wasn't there also just a general fascination with Egypt and like Egypt? I mean, oh, yeah, so Egyptomania. Like, yeah, like that, that's a whole name for it. Right. Right. I remember that in some of the occult stuff I've seen. They talk a lot about that. And I mean, they would grind up mummies and use them in medicines and paint. Oh, that's that is so like apparently scary. ground up mummy was a cure for headaches, which that one I think sticks with me because I would have been desperate for headache cures. And I don't I don't know if I would have oh. been able to bring myself to ingest mummy as a cure. No, I mean, if you if you die from that one, you deserve that. Like that is so yeah. disturbing yeah. and wrong on so many levels. Um, it's so be- far beyond disrespectful. It's no, it's it's kind of unfathomable. But this makes sense because I was reading, and this is on topic, I was reading a book about Woolworth. He started the Woolworth stores, and oh, yeah. he was very into the occult, which I want to cover him cool. in a future episode. But during that the late 1800s, early 1900s, he put Egyptian symbols all over his mansion and for part of the occult. So that, that really makes a lot of sense. Yep. And on top of all of this, there was a war going on because at the time, Britain was occupying Egypt. It had invaded the Middle East in 1882 and apparently bombarded Alexandria for ten and a half hours from the sea in an attack that was largely one-sided because the British didn't lose a single boat. Wow. The fires that followed destroyed much of the city and two days later, the British army entered Alexandria and Mm -hmm. took Egyptian forces in a handful of skirmishes. Mm -hmm. Because Egypt was flat and open, the British decided to attack at night and after an hour of fighting, the Egyptians fled and the British military stayed in Egypt in a variety of capacities until 1922. Wow. And so militarily, the occupation of Egypt was a success. Like it was seen as a military Mm -hmm. success. But the people back home were little less enthusiastic about it. They were wondering, Mm -hmm. like, should European powers intervene in the going-ons of the Middle Eastern countries? The British said they were there to help depose a tyrannical rule, but the British people weren't sure that was their job to do or their place to interfere. Mm -hmm. So the occupation troubled many people, and while they didn't, some didn't want to express their anxieties in a way that would be, like, attacking or seen as questioning the decisions of the government. Mm Mm-hmm. However, they can be paranoid about objects coming from Egypt that had a bone to pick with England. Oh, I never thought of that angle. Okay. Neither did I. To be fair, I didn't know much Mm -hmm. about the British invasion of Egypt. Right. Other than that, they were there, obviously, because, again, I've watched The Mummy way too many times. (laughs) But no, I hadn't thought about the invasion either. I just knew they were going and, you know, exploring the pyramids and doing all of that kind of stuff. Exactly. Exploring. I mean taking things out of them precisely and the fact that it started with the napoleonic wars like that it now that i'm thinking about it in that context it makes perfect sense but i don't focus a lot on french history so napoleon (laughs) does not enter my psyche a whole lot i generally (laughs) restrict my information to jokes about the sun king Mm -hmm. the concept of looking at the looking at the artifacts versus questioning you know what made the government make these choices because that would be seen as unpatriotic was apparently addressed really well in a book that I wish I'd been able to find in time to use to do this episode. But it's a book from 2012 called The Mummy's Curse by Roger Luckhurst. Okay. He's apparently a professor of literature at Burbick College at the University of London. Hmm. And so I thought that was absolutely fascinating. And I'm kind of wondering how often that came up before or if he was really groundbreaking in this perception. Yeah. So 
basically the way this whole thing pans out as wartime fears are kind of working their way through the English people. Science is also taking people down rabbit holes because it's causing them to think about just how far scientists will go to uncover information. Like when archaeologists and scientists are going into tombs to gather relics, they're not just moving rocks. They're moving sacred items and adjusting things. And what will they put under the microscope to determine? Kind of like how people were worried stateside during World War II. Like, how far will we go? Looks like mm-hmm. the atomic bomb and the hydrogen bomb are the how far we'll go. Right. But like that questioning right. of science and military presence, it kind of triggers humanity to think that way. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And the incentives to disturbing the dead was a little disconcerting to a lot of people. It was a little bit guilt-inducing. Mm. In an 1899 novel, which I also couldn't find to be able to read for this, I'm sorry. One day I'll be able to be able to get my research done the way I want. But <laughs> there's a novel called Pharaohs the Egyptian by Guy Boothby. And Pharaohs asks the son of a e- famous Egyptologist, and pray by what right did your father rifle the dead man's tomb? Perhaps, he continues, you will show me his justification for carrying away the body from the country in which it had been laid to rest and conveying it to England to be stared at in the light of curiosity. And that was written in 1899. See, I'm actually a little surprised because I, I I mean, you just and this is what you get for assuming you're usually wrong. But I just assumed it was pretty accepted because it was just going on so much. I didn't realize that there were several people who are like, should we be doing this? That, that that does surprise me to hear that. Yeah. Be, well, we also, where we see it in pop culture, it's always done with such a blase attitude. Right. That between, you know, mummy movies and Indiana Jones it's and Tomb Raider, it's just kind of go into the tomb, get the thing and come out. It yeah. doesn't occur to you that there are dissenting voices. Right. You don't really hear those. Even when you look into history, those, I mean, not that they're not there, but they're not the more prominent voices that you hear. Exactly. Now, just to make sure that we are clear that the mummy didn't leave on the Titanic or get sent to the U.S. <laughs> to ruin somebody's financial uh, prospects. I'm losing track of my own brain now. There was an article done by Snopes.com, and they researched mm-hmm. the legend and concluded that at every single point of all of these stories, the mummy case had never left the British Museum. Okay. And apparently the rumors started with a journalist named William Stead and another man named Douglas Murray. They apparently had told the story of a mummy brought to a friend's house and the spirit of the mummy had destroyed everything breakable in the house and brought illness and misfortune to those in contact with it. They then saw the mummy case at the British Museum and they said the face depicted on the case looked tormented and that the priestess spirit was malignant was a malignant force loose in the world. Oh. Now, to add some drama to it, William Stead was a passenger on the Titanic and went down with the ship. Okay, thank you. As you were saying that name, I'm like, I sorry, I probably just shouted in our listeners' ears, but I got excited. <laughs> because as you were talking, I'm like, I know that name. I know that name. I know, like, it... That he was the spiritualist on the Titanic. Like, I just <laughs> listened to a podcast a couple of weeks ago about him. Oh, my goodness. Yep. Apparently, he was responsible for the rumors about the coffin lid slash unlucky mummy and it being tied to the Titanic in a very literal way, but not like it was on board. Okay, my mind is blown right now because through the entire podcast, I don't think they mentioned this at all. Really? They kind of talk. I mean, I could now I need to go back and listen, but I don't I think I would 
maybe I just forgot it, but I don't remember them mentioning the mummy. It was more about his life as a spiritualist. He passed on the Titanic and then the messages he sent after from the spirit, you know, from being in spirit of what the passengers were doing now and where they were and what was happening, which I, it's a total deep dive. We will do an episode. He's okay, good. I'm like, list. is he on our list? Because he needs to be. Yes. Once I found it, because I didn't know this until, by the way, listeners, my son wanted a Titanic birthday for his sixth <laughs> birthday party. So all Titanic theme. And my he was fascinated. So we listened to a podcast every day and each day it was a different passenger. They would highlight. Hmm. And that's how I heard I learned about him. So wow. So he is involved. In, okay, I'm fascinated. Fascinated. <laughs> well, I'm glad that got your attention and you're just bored up to this point. No, <laughs> no, not at all. No, it's just cool when you've been learning about something, a different topic, and then they, like, connect. <laughs> I love it. Well, in case anyone was worried, apparently it still lives in the British Museum and okay. is officially known as Artifact 22542. Um, what's kind of cool is that it was suggested that the Unlucky Mummy story basically developed a template for the more spectacular story about excavating ancient spirits because in 1922... King Tut's tomb was undercovered and tabloid papers and academic papers, they were all trying to get their hands on the goriest or gilded stories that were coming out of the burial ground. Like they wanted to know what, when, how, where, and how it affected mm-hmm. people. And Lord Carnivorn, no, Carnarvon. I think it's Carnarvon. Wait, I got to Carnarvon? It could be Carnarvon. That looks fine. It's C-A-N-A-R-V-O-N. I think it is because I read a book about his wife. And that's the Downton Abbey house. Okay. Lorcan Arvin's okay. house. I, I think that's it. Listeners don't hate me if I'm wrong. <laughs> anyway, the guy who funded the expedition that found King Tut's tomb had signed a strict and exclusive agreement with Times London that essentially locked all of the other papers out of the story. And the competition got their revenge by stoking rumors that he, who, he, he died from blood poisoning because he was bitten by a mosquito. Uh, had been driven to his grave by vengeful Egyptian spirits. Now that, see, this was the only one I ever knew about. Same. Like, I remember this story where it was a mosquito bite that Mm -hmm. killed him. I'm like, that sounds like a mummy curse. Heck yeah. When I was a kid. Right. Interesting. But the other paper, I didn't know the other paper were the ones that ran with that. Yep. It was because they had the exclusive deal with Times of London. And so everyone else was like, cool, we're going to make up our own stuff then. Hmm. And the Daily Express had a Christian mystic novelist had uh, they'd written a book and they claimed that the most dire punishment that follows any rash intruder into a sealed tomb. Oh, mm-hmm. I mean, to be fair, knowing things like anthrax occur naturally in nature, like you're breaking into caves and tombs and stuff, you could die from stuff like that. And it is technically a situational curse, but it's more like biology and bad luck. Of course, what's bad luck? Could be a curse. Who knows? Yeah, no, that that's fascinating. No, I love how you put that biology and bad luck. <laughs> that that's a book title. I like that. <laughs> or potentially a biography from someone. There you go. <laughs> Today, the British Museum has little to say about the unlucky mummy. Apparently, the artifact pet page for the mummy board has just a brief note, and it's hidden in the curator's comments that it recounts a few of the more notable myths, including that the mummy was on board on the Titanic. And then it adds, needless to say, there's no truth to any of this. The object has never left the museum until it went to a temporary exhibition in 1990. Oh, okay. 
there was a really cool point of view developed by Luckhurst. I think I mentioned him earlier. I can't remember his first name. But you did. Yeah, one of mm-hmm. yeah, the authors. He thought that the museum's dismissal of the myths was unfortunate. Because kind of like how historiography is important for when you're studying history. Because the way people mm-hmm. write about the events is almost as important as the facts about the events themselves. Because they reflect right. society at the time. Like the way the rise and fall or the decline and fall of the Roman Empire reflects the point of view of people who are writing about that and why it's so judgmental he sees it the same way where the myths of the time tell us a lot about how people react and respond and interact with the ancient artifacts oh that's a fact that's fascinating i thought so too like i thought it was really a cool way of looking at it because it kind of makes sense Mm -hmm. and you know once an item is encased in glass given a number and archived into a database it's supposed to be stripped of all of its mythical aura and magic Saying it's we've both been in curation buildings, we're absolutely confident that that is not true. Yes. Because <laughs> some yes. of those things have gotten creepier since they've been cataloged. Oh, yes. Yes. Um, yeah, some of those rooms with those artifacts. Uh-huh. You, I would run in, grab what I needed, and, well, carefully get out of there. But, yeah, no, they still have so much energy. I swear to God, it gets worse when they're in, like, in the building where everything's just stored like in the curation building they just bounce off each other i swear they feed off each other and get worse when we're not looking i i think so too i mean you always i don't know about you i always felt like i was being watched when i would walk through there like didn't help that there were cardboard cutouts that actually looked at you when you got to the back of one side (laughs) and that was the creepy side that was the creepy side i am aware One side was not happy. One side was pretty chill. It was fine. It, I, I, part of that, though, was that it was also better lit on the cheerier side. That's I swear true, the light bulbs were a better shade of yellow slash green. I think so. But that other side, like when I had to go in there, I'd be like, oh, I don't I just don't want to today. Same. <laughs> I was the intern in there. I was in there two days a week. Oh, my gosh. No, I mean, I I don't know how you did it. I only had one day in there where I'd be by myself sometimes. And I'm like. I'm just going to do desk work. I'm just going to avoid going into the collections room because no one would be, no one would hear me scream if something happened. It's a bunker. Like it's because it has to be to protect them. I'm like, this is not good. This is scary. True. That's fair. I didn't like opening on my own. I didn't mind working in there on my own, but I hated closing up on my own because I was convinced that either I forgot something and the place would burn Mm -hmm. down or something would knock itself off the shelf and I get blamed for it. But I think you're right. Yeah, just because they put it away doesn't mean (laughs) it's quiet. No, anyone who's been to the underside of museums, like (laughs) the fluorescent lights can kill a lot, but they can't kill everything. Mm-hmm. And apparently, like, there are other people who agree mm-hmm. with us because the mummy story is still getting passed around. Like, we grew up hearing right. about it, even though we didn't know that it was just this one coffin lid. It's not even a mummy. Apparently, in 2013, there was a headline in the Manchester Evening News that read, The Curse of the Spinning Statue at Manchester Museum. The story concerned a 10-inch tall statue of a <gasps> man found in an Egyptian mummy tomb that mysteriously spun in its display case. An Egyptologist quoted in the paper said that, in ancient Egypt, they believed that if the mummy is destroyed, then the statuette can act as an alternative vessel for the spirit. And maybe Ooh. that's what's causing the movement. Yeah, I guess. You want me to make you sad? The, the base was slightly uneven and tiny vibrations from road traffic made the statue rotate. Oh, that does make me sad. Is this the one that has the famous video? I know there's like a video of an object moving. I'm, there's there's probably multiple, honestly, multiple so-called videos. But- Possible. That does make me kind of sad. 
I mean, I'm glad, kind of, because that's really spooky, but at the same time, oh. I mean, I, I, I kind of like the way this one article kind of summed it up. With in a culture of anxiety and conflicted over how science shapes our understanding of the world, the allure of the occult remains. You can bury people's superstitions under a mountain of evidence, and the superstitions will climb right back out, not unlike the unlucky mummy. I love it. Oh my gosh. <laughs> this is such a cool story. And it makes you, I, I'm thinking, probably because we worked in this field, like the people that have to work around that, or if they have to go, because you have to check on these artifacts, even if they're in storage, like how are they holding up? Yeah, you have to check the humidity controls, the temperature controls, make sure there aren't any insect infestations or leaks exactly. or, you know, when Harvey hit, make sure nothing flooded. Exactly. And I'm just thinking, even if it's like, okay, they made all this up, I'm sorry, I would still be nervous being around that thing mm-hmm. and having to inspect, like, who, does somebody draw, like, the short straw to get, like, you're going to do it today? Or do they give it to the interns? Like, you're an intern. Get on in there. Your turn. <laughs> I mean, seems like something. Possible. I, I don't. Does anyone have any connections to the British Museum? Can you tell us what goes on behind yes. the scenes? And I, I am kind of sad they don't include the myths as well. I mean, because you can certainly tell the real history. This is where they come from. But I think that would also interest people. Like, now I want to go learn more. Like, I want to look this thing up. I want to see it. Like, I think it also inspires people to learn more about it. And then on top of that, you have things like people who are frustrated that the the myth of the unlucky mummy is still out there and it's pervading society, but they won't, and they want it mm-hmm. to stop, but they won't tie it to the artifact that's in the museum right. because knowing that that's been there the whole time would tell me that, okay, clearly half these stories are yes. fake. Yes. Because here's the piece. It is not at the bottom of the Atlantic on the Titanic. Right. Like, it would be a better reality check than just pretending the myths don't exist. Yeah, I have to disagree. I think I think you could do a whole exhibit around this. And, do, and oh, yeah, talk sure. about the myths. And then, because then you could always be like, but here's the truth. And here's the facts. Yeah. I feel like. Exactly. Like, we have a whole show on TV called Mythbusters for yes, a reason. Absolutely. And then you would educate a whole, you know, all of us that have never heard about it, then we learn the truth. And it, I mean, exactly. I feel like they're missing a big opportunity. <laughs> I mean, we have this opinion about a lot of museums for different reasons. This is true because I feel like so many try to hide that away or anything like that. And it's like you, this is what draws people in. And you can be like, hey, we draw, we brought you in because you think this is super unlucky. But hey, let's learn the real history about it and the history of Egypt. And let us educate you. Exactly. Here are the real stories that are tied to it that you can see as unlucky. And here are the ones that have been made up since. Yes. But I mean, I have to admit. Okay, so I know um, they kind of made up that it was in the house and, you know, all that craziness. But the deaths are real. Correct? Like, all that's real. Right. Oh, yeah. No, the people who died on their way back from the Egyptian spring break definitely all had that bad luck. Two of them died. One of them shot his arm and had to have it amputated. Wheeler got to England, lost everything. Popped to the U.S., lost everything again. Photographer died. Porter died. Linguist completed suicide. Like, all of that definitely did happen. So it's not like you have to, like, and that's that's the other one that bothers me. Like, do you, I know we're in the Gilded Age of Spiritualism, and I know that we have to be bigger, better, and more interesting than the last story, because that's how Mm -hmm. rumors work. But we have a literal kill sheet from this artifact. That you can argue either was caused by it or not caused by it. But we have an actual list of people who have been hurt by it. 
and you had to one up it with the Titanic and World War One. Exactly. Like, how extra are oh, you? I mean, that the whole the list of people fascinates me. And I would be curious. And it, I don't know if it says or not, like how we, we know the group of boys that went, you know, and found it. But like how soon after the people that like the porter or the photographer, was it like pretty quick after they were around it that this happened? I mean, based on the way it's uh-huh. described where she tried to have uh-huh. it photographed and the photographer died. I'm guessing that he died while trying to photograph it or after he was contracted, but before he could take the picture. That blows my mind. And then the linguist, because, I mean, it says that he was hired to do it, not that he completed it. So I'm guessing he was working on it when he opted for suicide. Wow. That is, I mean, that's one of those, I think, when it's like the true history of Stranger, almost in some of the myths. I mean, how, I mean, yes. Anybody could be like, well, that could be explained. They could have gotten sick. But it's the timing that is so strange for me. Exactly. It's it's the ones that are real that get your yes. attention because it's, well, could it have been? Because I don't know. Why? Versus the ones that are so over the top that you're like, yeah. no. On principle, I'm not believing that because I don't want to. But it is interesting that Mr. Stead, who makes up this whole story and it talks all about it. Mm. Then- I mean, he did see it in person, and then he got on the Titanic. That did not end well. That that did not go well for him. So, I mean, who knows? He may have been one of the last victims. Or it was really mad at him for lying about things, and it took him down. Oh, my goodness. But it's it's sitting in the British... Me- it's it, You know what it kind of reminds me of? Like, I don't know how they have it stored, but it kind of reminds me of, like, the Ark of the Covenant in, like, Indiana Jones. Is this thing, like, boxed <laughs> up on a top shelf that's, like, nobody opened this thing? In a giant warehouse, never well, to I be mean, found. why don't they have this on display? Maybe. There's a reason they're not putting it on display or doing exhibitions. I mean, maybe they're not checking on it. Maybe they're like, it's fine. It should be fine. It's boxed up. It's it's good to go. Nobody needs to open that. It's not an issue. It's 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 yeah, stored. It's fine. Exactly. It's not burning the shipping information off of itself like as we speak or anything. But that's all I can think of. Like, where is this thing in there? Oh, my gosh. If anybody has any connections, please write to us because I am so curious how they handle this object. Oh my gosh, I would love, also I'd love to know if there's other, because I'm sure there are at least myth-wise, not that they really are, but other cursed objects. Like, isn't the Hope Diamond? Is it the Hope Diamond? That one is, like, I'm just curious, like, how many do we have sitting in museums that... So many. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. There are paintings that are cursed or haunted. There are items. There are, like, there. we we could do a whole other podcast on cursed items and like have it just be the topic alongside spiritualism mm. we could do a whole spinoff podcast <laughs> show on that one because cursed items are everywhere yes. oh i'm so glad you told this and how it does tie in with the whole spiritualism you know that just that time period in the occult and the whole movement um it's a very cool very cool very creepy story and i don't know what i'm gonna do like we need to cleanse our our spaces after this like no we we no mummies Please. I'll burn some rosemary yeah. and I'll sleep with selenite and it'll be fine. <laughs> we'll be good. We'll be okay. Yes. Oh my goodness. Well, thank you. I mean, I loved it. This will probably be the closest we get to like a proper scary story on this pod because most of the time we're talking about history. Well, and it, it, I didn't go into this thinking it would be creepy, but just the thought of all these people that looked into it, that researched it, that were fascinated by it, 
It didn't turn out well. But I guess, you know what? We're probably safe because there are people that work in that museum every single day. Yeah. They're probably near it. Maybe. Maybe not. I mean, plus not everybody died. Some people just had financial ruin. Well, that's true. There's a positive. <laughs> Wheeler survived. <laughs> he, maybe maybe the mummy left him to tell the tale. Like, left one, like, warn others. Right? You are allowed to touch me and talk about me. No one else is. Exactly. Well, I guess that one guy just, isn't it sad? I'm like, he just lost his arm. But compared to everybody else, that yeah. seems like, that's, that's okay. You came out okay. But, but looking at the sacrifices everybody else made, that's not terrible. Also, Arthur Wheeler's sister didn't have anything happen to her as far as I could tell. Oh, interesting. Okay, was she there too, or was she, I mean, I know she was around him, obviously, but was she? She was. She was the one um, when he came to the U.S. and had everything fall apart again. She was given custody of the coffin lid. Oh, she's the one who tried to get it photographed, and the where the everybody died. Oh, that's right, that's right. That was his sister. She's also the one who then took it to the British Museum. So I don't know if because she handed it off to an institution, she was. Wait, now here's a question: Were all the people that died? It sounds like they were all men. Yeah, for the most part. Although we don't know anything about the photographer or the translator or True. the porter. I mean, I assume the porter, but you don't know. Yeah. Well, even the photographer back then. I mean, not that women couldn't do that, but we just kind of know. And by and large, especially for something that's notable, they would have often pulled a guy. Yeah. Women were at home taking care of the house, not out working because we weren't really allowed. But that's <laughs> a whole other podcast. But I mean, I would just assume that would be an interesting thing if, if it mainly targeted men Mm -hmm. that's a good point so maybe she was good but i I love that she's like the museum can have it y'all take it look at that somebody else is taking control i'm done by (laughs) well very very cool yep i'm glad you enjoyed it i hope everybody else enjoyed it absolutely and even if you didn't enjoy it tell us anyway (laughs) (laughs) because we don't know not to do things if you don't talk to us if you did enjoy it you know the drill Appease the podcast gods and leave us a rating and a review wherever you're listening to us. And while you're there, if you haven't hit subscribe yet, I want to know why in a four-page, well-researched and well-articulated article of your own, why you haven't hit subscribe yet. (laughs) Because this is how you know when we release new episodes. Absolutely. And I mean, Kate already said it. We want to hear from you. So let us know what you thought about this episode. If there's any other creepy, cursed spooky topics you want us to explore in future episodes you can always find us on instagram or facebook at calling all spirits pod or you can email us at calling all spirits pod at gmail.com of course you can follow us on patreon and you get our bonus episodes and we're going to do a movie night coming up lots of fun things and if you're feeling lucky i recommend you don't go see the unlucky mummy because i feel like that'd be counterintuitive And if you try to utilize her to contact us, I may never speak to you again. Literally. So, like, maybe yeah, just stick with email. Just, just think of us. <laughs> don't, don't go to the mummy. <laughs> but until next time, hopefully we'll see you soon. <laughs> Bye, guys. Yeah, hopefully there'll be a next time. <laughs> Bye. Bye.